if your CEO turned up to every planning meeting. That might be cool in a five-person startup, but in a 5,000-person organization, if the CEO is going to every planning meeting, for, forget about his time, forget about his scheduling. You know, <laughs> that is just micromanagement, isn't it? The CEO turns up. If a team is really going to have their own power, their own freedom to make their own choices, if a team is going to get, I mean, it was expression, master their own destiny. If a team is truly going to be able to say, this is what we want to do. The product owner is truly going to have the power to say, our customers want this and I'm going to deliver this. And they're not constantly second guessing what the CEO wants, or they're not constantly checking with the higher ups that they want, what they're after. If a team is going to have that autonomy, then how are you going to reconcile that? You don't want the higher ups to be connected. You actually want them to see you as a black box. Hmm. I, so I know it's frustrating, but there's a good side to that. And it seems to me that OKRs feel about the right level. You are listening to the Align Remotely podcast, the show dedicated to helping you lead distributed teams under difficult circumstances. I'm the host, Luke Shermer, and I've participated in or run distributed teams for almost a decade. As a practitioner, I'm speaking with experts on leadership, strategic alignment, and remote work to help you navigate the issues you start facing after you get your working from home gear sorted. Welcome, welcome, welcome. This is Luke again with the Align Remotely, ah, no, the Manage Remote Teams podcast. I am considering rebranding the podcast, so just in case you do see slightly different visuals or a different name, if you are looking to uh, listen to it for your own benefit or to share it with someone, be aware that there might be a different name. So today we're speaking with Alan Kelly. Now, Alan is a good friend of mine. Now, Alan Kelly has been on the cutting edge of Agile for quite a while. I think he was one of the main popularizers behind the idea of moving away from projects in IT towards products with the no projects movement. At the moment, he's primarily focused on OKRs, objectives and key results, and in particular, reconciling OKRs as they've been applied with Agile in a way that makes sense. So on today's episode, you will hear why it's a good idea to throw away or ignore your product backlog and what to do instead, why OKRs give team autonomy and enable self-management, releasing senior executives from getting bogged down in detail, uh, how to make business sense of overwhelming lists of feature ideas or tasks, and also why achieving 100% of your objectives can actually be an anti-pattern or a bad idea for your company. So without further ado, let's dig into the show. Alan Kelly, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. Looking forward to this. Tell us a little bit about your background with OKRs, how you got into the topic. I call myself an actual guide. Most people call me an agile coach. I, I decided a while ago that I, I do more than just coaching. I, I kind of more kind of help direct people. So about 18 months ago, I, I, was, I was working with a company, a large financial institution, 
almost certainly not the one you're thinking of, <laughs> but one you have heard of. <laughs> and I was helping the couple of their teams, you know, get agile. You know, doesn't doesn't everyone do this? We suddenly had this additional thing added to us, OKRs. I think the, the senior team at this financial institution were, were being guided by a rather expensive consultancy, shall we say. And suddenly we were told that we were to adopt OKRs. It was a bit like, do you remember that old Dilbert cartoon where Dilbert goes into the manager's office and the manager says, I want you to do agile programming. And Dilbert says, if we're going to do agile programming, we need training, we need materials, we need all the rest of it. And uh, the manager says, that was your training. And it, it kind of felt a bit like that. Thou are doing OKRs. As an agile person who's been around for a few years, myself and the other agile coaches, we all kind of knew a bit about OKRs. They've been knocking around for a few years now. and People have been talking about them on and off in agile circles. So we kind of knew objectives and key results, the thing you want to do and some of the milestones, big bits that you need to build for that. So we kind of knew that. But that was like as, as deep as our knowledge did, went. So we all rushed out and we bought the John Doe book, OKRs, uh, Measure What Matters. And we started reading blogs and, you know, we all started trying to get with it. And I will admit, I was quite skeptical. I'm very wary of numeric targets. And I mean, some of your listeners may come across a thing called Goodhart's Law. Goodhart's Law is from Charles Goodhart, who was a professor at the London School of Economics, and he was a really serious economist. He's retired now. And he coined a thing that's now called Goodhart's Law, which is any statistical measurement, when used as a target, will change its behavior. And he was talking in economic sense, particularly about inflation. But it's been seen in other social sciences that this happens. And we can see it in software. Uh, the, the best example is velocity points. If you've got a team that is, is measuring their, their capacity in story points, and they measure their velocity every iteration, and you then introduce a manager who says, come on, team, let's see if we can get an extra 20 points this sprint. You know, let's, let's get more points, team. Let's score high. Let's do pull harder. You will find before long that your numbers are going up. Your numbers are going up in a straight line. You aren't actually producing anything more, but you are scoring more points, which for those who are in economics mind, you will recognize this is called inflation. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, I've seen on a few teams now, you know, the, the teams come under pressure to score more points and consciously or subconsciously their estimates go up. And yeah, anyway. I was well-versed in, in these kind of ideas and there's a couple of good books on the danger of targets. And so I was really skeptical about, okay, awesome. but you know what? I started working with them and they worked. They, they worked well. They, they really brought a good focus to the team. They improved communication with the rest of the company. They gave us an opportunity to step back once in a while and ask some bigger questions and really to question that is it backlog, backlog, backlog? You know, before that, it just seemed to be burning down the backlog. Which nobody ever gets to burn down the backlog. And, you know, reacting to what customers want. And, and there's always a difficult question there. You know, should you be doing what you plan to do or should you be reacting to the customers? And this problem doesn't go away with OKRs. If anything, it becomes more obvious. But it's a problem to talk about. Because 
there's value in firefighting. If, if a fire over here, there's value in putting the fire out, you know. But if all you ever do is fight fires, all you'll ever be is a firefighter. And while fighting fires is a respectable profession, not everyone can or should be a firefighter. And working with OKRs, the, we start to see these issues. And I start to realize that OKRs really are like test first management. It's like hmm. writing down what you want to achieve and how you're going to test for it. And another one of my fears was, are OKRs just a reinvention of management by objectives? Where somebody at the top of the organization says, this is what I want you to do. And these things cascade down the organization. I start to realize that if you use them correctly, OKRs running the opposite direction, they cascade up the organization. And I found they worked. And I had to kind of go and eat my hat. And so I started to write some notes on how I've been using OKRs and what I'd found and how I recommended you use them. And then lockdown happened. <laughs> and uh, of course, we all need something to do in lockdown. And these few notes blossomed into what now looks like a book. <laughs> I've, I've had that experience too. <laughs> so now we can just throw away the backlog? That would be my advice. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm expecting this to be the most controversial part of my take on OKRs. Um, mm -hmm. I've noticed in a, while I've been putting the book together, before then, while I was working with OKRs and while I was putting the book together, I've made a point of trying to read some other authors and particularly blogs and people's experience tales. And there's a few places where I think I might disagree with uh, more common wisdom, which anyone who reads my other books won't be surprised to hear me say that. <laughs> but one of my big takeaways is throw away the backlog. And I'll tell you, this was an actual experiment. When I was working with OKRs, I started to realize that the OKRs are saying, do one thing. And we've got this backlog over here of a bunch of things to do. And I've been preaching for years that stories in a backlog should be small. And here we've got these objectives, big things. And how do you marry the two of them together? When you look at it, there's two approaches. You either say, as many teams do with a sprint goal, by the way, you either look at a backlog, decide what you want to do, and then you craft a sprint goal, or in this case, an OKR around it. And in effect, the OKR just codifies what you're going to do anyway. But in, in advance. advance, yeah. Yeah, it was some degree in advance. We, we should talk about the, the cadence of OKRs, the three-month cycle as opposed to the sprint cycle. But because yeah, OKRs are working on a three-month cycle, one way is to have this kind of gaze into your crystal ball, pick pixel of the backlog you think you're going to do for three months, and then you craft an OKR to explain that. Hmm. The other way is to say, like, step back, put the backlog to one side. Let's think about what we're really trying to achieve here. Let's think about our mission, our goal, our strategy, what our customers ask, what, whatever the inputs are that you are, you are taking in. And let's say, what are our big objectives here? What are our big goals? Codify them in OKRs. And then when you start executing within the quarter, you come to the OKRs and you say, right, here's the objective. Here's the key result we're going to aim for this week, this sprint, whatever. What do we need to do to move from where we are now towards that key result and that objective? If there is something in the backlog that can contribute to this, 
then by all means, let's take out the backlog and let's use it. But just because something isn't in the backlog, if this is your priority one objective, if this is your priority one key result, if this is the thing you're going to be working on, then just because it's not in the backlog, why would you not do it? Because it takes like a minute to write something and stick into the backlog if you if you want to be correct about this. But yeah. the, the it's about stepping back and thinking about what are the outcomes you want? What are the bigger goals, the strategies, you know, these more meaty things? And how can we move from here to there? And the backlog secondary, as I say, I'd, I'd almost get to the point where I say, throw it away. I've struggled with this too. I kind of always saw the backlog as this big sunk cost <laughs> aggregator. Yep. And especially of all the effort of pruning it and, and keeping it pretty and complete. And then when you actually were trying to do business planning, it was very difficult to do it from the perspective of your backlog because it would always dictate what to do rather yeah. than come at it from a business perspective. You know, in, in the early days of Agile, the backlog was a wonderful idea. The backlog was the things we were going to do. But we are now 10, 20 years into that journey. And we have invented some wonderful electronic tracking tools. And those tools have turned into bottomless pits mm -hmm. that we can keep putting stuff in the backlog and in the backlog and in the backlog. And no team ever burns down their backlog. No team ever empties the backlog. And if you do, you're probably doing something wrong anyway. Yeah. And what was a great, great benefit in the early days has now, it doesn't scale. 20 years later, we see that it doesn't scale. It's fine when you're starting out. It's fine when you're new to all this stuff. But when you've got 2,000 stories in Jira and you're arguing over what's an epic and what's a story and, <laughs> and what's the top of this thing and what's the bottom of this thing. And what's the subtask? Yeah. And now we can't see the wood for the trees. We're lost in all this detail. And absolutely in a sprint, you want a team that's delivering lots and lots of really small pieces, lots and lots of really small stories that add value. But we need that bigger picture thing. And, you know, Sprint Gold was kind of it for a while, but Sprint Gold never really worked out, I think, as Jeff and Ken thought it would. And I think one of the things about OKRs is, is they give us a middle-level planning tool. The stories and the sprints are really good for the day-to-day -day detail and making sure we get something delivered. And longer-term processes, whether you call them roadmaps, visions, business plans, whatever, we, we've got a whole bunch of tools there, you know, which product owners and BAs are the masters of. What we've been lacking is something in the middle. We used to have release plans, and people come up with a release plan that looked a few months into the future. But now the team's released like 10 times a day with continuous delivery. <laughs> Your release plan is in much use. And, OKRs fill this middle ground. It's something that's more meaningful than a sprint's worth of work, but isn't looking so far into the future as to be too remote from today to day. Yeah, my sense is with sprints is that they, even though you can get a piece of work done, like one or a couple of features, it's and and you know, and you can demo it at the end. It it, it it's often not enough in my experience, particularly with a bigger project for it to be a meaningful from a business perspective set of features. And yeah. 
yeah, and I, I think it's more at that level that the sprints are useful, but yeah. it still feels a bit more backendian. <laughs> I I hate to say these words because they are so cliched, but it's it's this bigger picture thing, and I, and they're nebulous words, and everyone uses them without thinking, and often it's worth asking, well, what what do you mean by bigger? But this idea that you've got some purpose, some mission, something else. You're not just a story machine, that stories go in and software comes out. I want you to be a story machine. But in terms of framing the team's reason for existence and understanding where they add value, because it's very easy to get lost in this story machine where you go into a sprint planning, you pick up a bunch of stories, you pick up a bunch of customer asks. And you get really good at churning them out and delivering them shortly. And everyone sees the value from those little bits you're adding. But you're going back to what I was saying about firefighting before. If, if that's all you ever do, that's all you'll ever be. Do you remember that episode of um, The Simpsons where Homer designs a car? There's an episode where Homer gets to design a car. So he gives it like 16 cup holders. And he gives you a reclining roof. And he's got all these features in there, which are cool features on their own. You put them into one car. It's like a four-wheel drive sports car kind of thing. And there's no cohesion there. You know, it's a bit like iTunes, really. You know iTunes? <laughs> <laughs> um, there's, there's no cohesion. There's no meaning. There's, you, you, okay, it's a car. And it gets you from A to B. But, you know, so do lots of other things. And I think that's sometimes lacking in, in the software creating. We can, again, we can get lost in our own success. Yeah, yeah. I, I think the other thing that I have seen is quite a struggle sometimes is that if at the story level, people higher up just don't have the time to get into that level of detail mm -hmm. when talking with teams. Yeah. And it's just difficult for them to make all of those connections yeah. the same way the team does. So I think that is probably another thing that, that would help that, that, with. That's a really good point, and you're dead on. I mean, how many times does a team say, the higher-ups don't understand this, they don't get this, they're not connected? And I totally feel that pain. But at the same time, I don't want the higher-ups getting involved in that detail. Would mm -hmm. you like it if your CEO turned up to every planning meeting? That might be cool in a five-person startup, but in a 5,000-person organization, if the CEO is going to every planning meeting, for, forget about his time, forget about his scheduling. You know, <laughs> that is just micromanagement, isn't it? The CEO tends If a team is really going to have their own power, their own freedom to make their own choices, if a team is going to get, I mean, it was expression, master their own destiny. If a team is truly going to be able to say, this is what we want to do. The product owner is truly going to have the power to say, our customers want this and I'm going to deliver this. And they're not constantly second-guessing what the CEO wants or they're not constantly checking with the higher-ups that they want, what they're after. If a team is going to have that autonomy, then how are you going to reconcile that? You don't want the higher-ups to be connected. You actually want them to see you as a black box. Hmm. I, so I know it's frustrating, there's a good side to that. And it seems to me that OKRs feel about the right level there. It, the team are able to say, every quarter, we step back. And you know, I think the simple way to explain it 
Well, simple thing to aim for is a, a quarter's 13 weeks. Okay, four quarters, 52 weeks in. A quarter's 13 weeks, like 12 weeks, six sprints, most teams of just delivering stuff. And one week of stopping, stepping back, reviewing what you've achieved in the last quarter, do a quarterly retrospective, review your OKRs, box that off, and some time to think about the next quarter, to, to get out of the detail, to think broadly. And absolutely, this should be led by your product owner, product manager, whoever whoever's wearing that, what does the customer want? What does the customer value hat? And they have the skills and experience for that specifically. They should lead that conversation. But it's a team decision as to what are they going to do? What are going to be the objectives? What are going to be the key results? You then see the other managers around you, the, the CEO, the COO, God knows who. They are stakeholders in that team. They, they aren't necessarily telling the team what to do. They are setting the overall, the ultimate goals. They are painting the bigger picture, the vision, whatever you want to call it. But the team are able to say, hey, this is what you've articulated as the ultimate objective for this organization. We as a team, with the input of our product owner who's been talking to customers, and with what we can see is happening technologically, this is what we see as our objectives for the next quarter. And they can play that back to the senior managers, and the senior managers can comment on it. But will we move the senior people from those day-to-day -day conversations, even the sprint-level conversations, and once those senior people say, okay, those OKRs are good, I can see why they make sense to this company, then in effect, they're saying, right, team, we trust you. Get on and do it. We, we aren't going to bother. We, we might check in halfway through, but really, we're not going to bother you. Get on and do it. At the end of the quarter, come back to us. We'll talk about how you did. We'll talk about what's coming next. But if a team are going to have autonomy, if a team are really going to be self-organizing and self-managing, you, you don't want senior people showing up every five minutes. And I think OKRs can facilitate that. Yeah, that makes sense. The thing that's kind of playing in my head is the power struggle between the team, which wants to define their own objectives versus the, let's say, long-term planning done by senior executives who then want to control everything around them to make sure that things go in that yeah. in that direction that they expect. Is it about control or is it really about value? Is it really about the customers? Do a mental exercise for me, a mental experiment. Everybody has a boss. And ultimately, your boss is the customer, the person who parts with their money or doesn't part with their money. And if the senior people are thinking, we want to grow this business, what will our customers part with money for in the future? How can we satisfy our customers? Then what they are seeing should be the same as what the product owners and the teams are seeing at the ground level. And if they're not, then either there's a, a breakdown in communication, one side or the other isn't explaining that they've actually got the same, they've actually seen the same thing, just not explaining it. Or perhaps, and there may be more value here, they are seeing different sides of the same coin. They're seeing different aspects of what the customer wants. Maybe they're looking at different customers. And so if there's a friction between what the, the higher-ups want and what the teams on the ground want, that's something to explore and understand because there's, there's potential value there. And so actually, I think, again, OKRs, because OKRs should be common language 
between the senior team and the delivery team, OKRs should be facilitating that. There shouldn't yeah. be a friction there. I know there shouldn't, and there always is. And some of that friction is natural mm -hmm. because people have different takes on things. But what we want to do is we want to find a harmonious way through this. Well, define objectives everybody's happy with, I guess. Yes. Yeah. So this is why I say, um, you know, when I think of organizations today, I, I don't think of the hierarchical chart with one person at the top and, you know, layer, layer, layer down. I, I think of them more like, um, imagine a solar system. And the person at the center, the sun, is probably the CEO or maybe the CTO. You know, it, it's it's some person, somebody there who's important. But the sun doesn't control the orbits of the planet. They they go around on their own trajectories. They have their own stuff going on. Okay, and each one of these teams is a planet going around the CEO. And some of those planets have moons. Some of those teams work with other teams and there's, there's moons flowing around with them as well and sometimes you've got some combinations you may have two or three teams over here who work together and they need to coordinate more you may have a team over there which is also orbiting the same ceo but they've got very different aims objectives they're doing something very different just to get into the key results a little bit so we've got the objective which is the top level let's say goal for a given uh, person or team and then each of those objectives you figure out a handful of key results which you think will help you achieve that objective. So one of the things that I'm always curious about is what if you achieve the key results but the objective isn't achieved? How do you articulate key results in a way that they actually you're actually quite sure that they will help you achieve the objective? You know, I, I increasingly see them all as hypothesis, theories. We have this objective. We our objective is to make the customer happy. Our objective is to produce a car that goes twice as many miles per gallon. And those key results, oftentimes, they're just hypothesis. We think if we create a, a better design for wheels, we will improve of car engine uh, efficiency. We can improve 20% of efficiency by, by our wheels. And so those key results are things we are going to try and do in order to meet the objective. Sometimes there may be more concrete. There may be actual bits we're going to build. Other times, I say they're hypothesis. They're things we're going to try and do. We are going to experiment with a new design of wheel to see if we can improve car performance. You can decide in your own key results how you phrase the key results because you, you want to achieve your key results. But if you phrase your key result as a hypothesis, key result one is we will experiment with a new design attire, which we hope to improve fuel efficiency by 20%. Now, whether you improve fuel efficiency by 20% or not is not ultimately the key result. The key result is doing the experiment. Now, when you are planning, you may have the expectation that achieving that key result will move you towards your objective. Mm -hmm. But it's possible you do the experiment, you secure the key result, and actually it doesn't contribute to objective. You aren't aiming for 100% compliance with your, your objectives and key results. Mm -hmm. we, we, we all want to score points, and we all want to get 100% because we're all at school, and 100% is the top mark, and that shows we're doing good. The problem is, and this is one of my original fears with OKRs, is that 
people will aim lower. Economists call satisficing. Instead of aiming to double the fuel economy of a car, they'll say, oh, we'll improve it 10% because people are confident that they can do that. So they'll set a lower target. They'll meet the target. And really, if you try to do something much higher, you may not have got to that high objective, but you've done better than if you aim low. It's the old quote used to Aristotle of our problem is not that we aim high and miss, but we aim low and we hit. And <laughs> So it's common to hear people talk about you're only aiming to achieve 70% of your OKRs. And I think that figure originally comes from Intel or Google. So the, the first thing for your organization to do is to articulate what percentage of OKRs are you aiming at? Now, there's a slight problem here. In the same way that people could aim for 100, set very safe targets to be able to get 100%, you can, with a bit more sophisticated gameplay, make sure you get 70 <laughs> uh, it just becomes a more sophisticated game. But we, you almost just say, look, let's just accept it on face value. We're going to try and do this stuff. We'll try and do our best. We'll aim high. We'll stretch ourselves. But we will, we've got wiggle room. If things don't go right, um, we don't have to hit 100%. So I think ultimately, the way to judge the success of OKRs is not how many OKRs are you hitting. It's not even, are we making life better for the, the customer? It's a question of how much better are we making things? Are we making a difference? Can we see actual benefits for the organization, for the customers, for other stakeholders? And whether we're hitting them or not, are we happy that we are achieving as much as we could. So where do people find out more about the book? Right now, the book is in the final stages of writing. I'm just doing some final copy editing, which my hard deadline for that is December the 25th. And so I, I should be finishing with my changes by Christmas. And in January, it's going to go to a copy editor because I will apologize to your readers now. I'm dyslexic, so my grammar, punctuation, spelling is all over the place, but I have a great copy editor. So um, Steve will get it for copy editing in, in January, so you should see the finished product in February. Right now, you can buy the book on LeanPub, leanpub.com slash agileokrs, and you'll find it, and you can buy it for I think it's $5, $6 at the moment, and whenever an update comes out, you'll get that for free. When the copy edit is finished and we've got that final electronic version, that will hit LeanPub first of all. Then it will appear on Amazon. And sometime after that, so probably March time, there'll be a physical version and an audio version out. So right now, right now, December 2020, look on LeanPub. In, in, from February onwards, you'll probably find it on Amazon. Okay, great. And where else can people connect with you? What are your favorite places to hang out? Well, I hang out on Twitter, but you might get some really insightful comments from me on Twitter, or you might get me moaning about the government. <laughs> uh, if you Google Alan Kelly, you usually find me. My, my website is alankelly.net. You should know I have two L's in Alan, A-L-L-A-N. So I have a blog on the website that gets updated a couple of times a month. I tweet too much. I'm there on LinkedIn. You can find me on LinkedIn. Please join me there. Great. Thank you very much. 
That was really a great show. Ellen shared so many insights, it's hard to really think of what the biggest one for me was. I, I think the biggest surprise when I was speaking with Ellen was that OKRs aren't used to enforce a formal hierarchy, which is kind of where I was coming from in terms of my understanding of how they work. And I absolutely loved how Alan's flipped it to use OKRs to have productive discussions as almost a boundary or an interface between teams that are out doing things and senior decision makers in a company, which basically allows you to scale much more effectively than you would if you were using traditional agile type of techniques like Scrum. So tune in next week for part two of our discussion with Ellen. And if you have any ideas about topics for the show or for guests that you think would be a good fit, please feel free to reach out to me at contact at alignremotely.com and then drop me a line and more than happy to hear your thoughts. Catch you next time. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Align Remotely podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a review on iTunes, Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 